HVAC 360, episode number 71, Business Coaching. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of HVAC 360. I'm your host, Matt Nelson. This week, we're going to be talking about business coaching. Why business coaching? That's a very technical topic, you may ask. But realistically, I think business coaching has an effect on pretty much uh, pretty much everybody in everybody's life. It really connects them um, and affects them in the sense that, you know, as engineers, contractors, you know, whatever you do uh, as your day job, um, you really have uh, a lot of technical skills, a technical knowledge um, and a lot of that uh, to know exactly what to do in the field, to know about the systems. But what about the systems as they relate to your business? How good are you at that? That's why uh, I, when I was contacted by Dominic Rubino, uh, Focal Point Coaching, I thought this was an excellent kind of dovetail into what we really need to do. I mean, not only do we need to work on, you know, getting the right knowledge in our heads uh, and sharing it with each other, but we need to be able to say, hey, you know what, how can we make our businesses better? Uh, how can we do that? So, you know, this week we're going to be talking with Dominic, and he has a lot of great things that uh, I'm not going to go too much into it. It's about uh, an, a little over an hour, so uh, I'll cut this intro short, and uh, we'll get right to the tape with Dominic Rubino. <laughs> All right, today we're talking with Dominic Rubino, who is with uh, Focal Point Coaching. How are you doing this morning, Dominic? Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. How are you? Good. Hey, um, so tell me a little bit about Focal Point Coaching. I mean, it's, it's business coaching, but uh, tell me what, you know, where it is, what's the origins of it, uh, and things like that. Mm, well, business coaching itself came out of that fantastic time in the 80s when everybody said, come to my seminar. And what, uh, what people soon realize is that just going to seminars doesn't, doesn't have a lot of stickiness. There has to be some ongoing, uh, we call it accountability. You know, you know, other people might call it just reminders. And so coaching grew out of that. And we happen to be attached to a very strong brand in the industry, uh, a gentleman by the name of Brian Tracy, who's a, a very well-known author and speaker. Some of your listeners may have heard of him or his books. So we use his system to show people how to reinvent their business. Now, I, I guess, um, you know, what are some of the, I mean, reinventing their business? How, how can it, what are the, the, the benefits of, of business coaching? Mm. Uh, it's, you may not like this answer, but it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not a cookie cutter thing where you say, well, it's a, you know, everybody has the same challenge. So when we enter a business, our job is to actually be more curious than anything else. And what we find is that more often than not, there's a couple of things that uh, uh, the business owner has recognized are areas where they'd like to change. Um, time, there's always some questions around time, time management, team, or the, you know, the people they have working in their organization, money, of course, everybody wants more money. We have yet to find a client who says, show me how to lose more. You know, and then um, some level of predictability is what they're looking for. So, and it doesn't matter if it's a trades company or if it's uh, you know, a, um, uh, let's say something more medically focused or uh, services business. They're always looking for those things. Now, within that, we have the flexibility to move and, and guide and shape people as they go. But uh, the answers are always different. 
So, I mean, ultimately, you're you're kind of uh, diagnosing maybe what their weakest points are and saying, hey, let's let's address this and then we can move on. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, the squeaky wheel. You, you, you'd want to address some things first and then you move on to other things. Is that right? Yeah, that's actually it's a good point because there's always a long and any business owner who's listening would know there's a long list of things that need to be done. But one of the things that I think business coaches bring as a value point is, is saying, okay, look, here's the list of things we know have to be done. Let's ignore these ones. But these ones are very important. And usually the hard part is getting it down to one or two things. And then beyond that, this is where the skill of your coach comes in. And, and the focus is focusing on just those one or two things until they're taken care of. Then you can move to the rest. So what are some of the misconceptions people have commonly about, about coaching? Um, misconceptions about coaching. Well, that, uh, that we have all the answers and we don't, we don't have all the answers. We are, that's a good question. So we're in the business of business as a professional coach and our client is in the business of whatever they do. So let's say somebody's a mechanical contractor. I, or one of my coaches will never be better, faster, smarter, leaner than somebody who's a mechanical contractor. They know that business inside and out. I'm a professional in the business of business. And when we get together and we have closed-door meetings and we talk strategy and implementation, how to do things, that's when it gets really strong. So the misconception is that we have all the answers and we don't. What we have is really good questions and then systems and processes and and new little tools to show people how to get to the next stage. Now, I I guess this is a hard question to answer. And, 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 you know, I guess in in my experience, at least being on the, 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 so to speak, the user end of things, um, why aren't more companies? I I see companies rarely focusing on this. And and maybe that's because I haven't been dealing with maybe the, 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 you know, the the top of the top or I've been at that kind of that uh, global, you know, need to know level. Um, But I see a lot of, uh, you know, especially in our industry, you know, the consulting and the contractors, it doesn't seem to be a high priority to, uh, you know, to, to, to get business coaching. Why, why do you think people might think that? Well, there's actually, I would have to say two reasons. One of them is more businesses are being coached than you would know. So uh, one of... Uh, this was a, a, what a client said to me once, and I, hopefully this doesn't get bleeped out, but he says, uh, uh, having a business coach is my own dirty little secret. <laughs> he just didn't want to tell anybody else that he had a business coach, mm-hmm. whether that's pride or ego or competitive, whatever. So there are many business owners out there who have outside perspective, who have a trusted advisor like a business coach that just don't tell anybody about it. Mm-hmm. And that's fair and that's fine and we're there to support that. When you're speaking with a professional business coach, confidentiality is on the table front and center. So we wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm working with Acme HVAC if mm-hmm. the, the owner said no. The other thing is, is that coaching is not about a demographic. So you can't look at the, the market and say, well, more mechanical contractors use coaching than any other industry. But that's not the case, nor is it with bakers or chiropractors or people that, that uh, make cabinetry or run an accounting firm. It's the owner's who say to themselves, hey, you know, I need, I need to do something different. And then they start looking around for somebody who can show them that, that way. You know, and I, I guess a, a good example of that, I, I, I you know, looking at uh, the website, focalpointcoaching.com, um, 
uh, they had a, you have a video clip of, it was uh, Google's, um, I don't know, president. president, and he was talking about coaching, and, and it was kind of, you know, it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, yeah, he's like, he's like you know, top athletes, you know, they, you would never find a top athlete in any sport that wouldn't have a coach. Why, why do you suspect, you know, that business owners wouldn't have a coach if they wanted to be the best that they could be? Yeah. And, and it was kind of like, oh, I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. I mean, so think about this. Let's use football as the example. You sit down in your favorite chair, you, you get your beer, or you have your favorite beverage, let me say, and you have <laughs> a bowl of chips. And uh, as your team comes on the field, you hear the announcer say, and, and, you know, this week, no coaching staff is going to be out there with the team. And that's your team, right? You're wearing their sweater, you've got the scarf, you've got the whole house decorated, and your team is taken to the field without, without a coach. You know, what would you say? Yeah, it would be, it would be, it would be, uh-oh. It'd be ludicrous, yeah. right? Can you imagine this? How can they do it? And now as an armchair quarterback, you're finally getting it right. You can't take to the field without a coach. And it's, it really is the same thing here. So I think there's, there's a lot of people out there who are perhaps frustrated saying, I don't know why such and such company is eating our lunch every single time. Well, there's always the story you know and the story you don't. Maybe in the background, they have a trusted advisor, a strategic person like a business coach who's walking them through those kind of waters. And, and it's, it's just little changes we make. We don't, we don't do things that are crazy and dramatic as standalone items. What we do is show people how to make tiny little changes that over time add up to a big, big change. And so you wouldn't know it's happening with a competitor or the guy down the street. It would just sort of gradually happen. Right. And, and you know, it, it, it just it makes so much sense. I mean, you talk about that with, with like goals and things like that where, you know, you have to set a goal and then you have to have that constant check in to to make sure that, yes, you're making progress. You have to. Yeah. I mean, in our industry, if you if you don't measure it, you don't know that it's not working. You know, right. measurement is, is the key aspect uh, of, of getting things right. And I think that's that's what uh, you know. Coaching, at least you know, I'm I'm thinking that it, that it uh, you know fits that bill. Absolutely. It, the, the, the saying is that we use here is you can't manage what you can't measure. Absolutely. And there's a certain power from being able to measure things. You know, just I, I can give this suggestion to your listeners: if mm-hmm. you think you don't have enough leads coming in, start counting them. Just with a piece of paper, count how many times the phone rings or you get an email, and just count that. It doesn't matter if it's over a week or a month, but just look at the number. And you might be surprised at either how high or how low the number is. But once you know the number, you can act. If you don't know the number, you can't do anything. You're, uh, you're paralyzed. Right. No, you don't know which way to go. You, you're, you're acting on, on feelings, and feelings tend to be inaccurate. <laughs> yes. So now I, I guess if, 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 if you've come to the decision that, you know what, uh, I think I, 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 this makes a lot of sense. I might need a business coach. What, how do you, how do you tell a good business coach from a bad business coach? I, yeah. So a lot <laughs> of it comes down to gut feeling. I mean, you have to sit in front of and know that person because you're going to, with a good business coach, you should have the most difficult kind of conversations and feel good at the end. That's who this person should be. Um, aside from that, you need to know that they have a system of some sort that you can rely on. Because what you don't want is a coach who says, hey, I just started out as a business coach and I read this book and I'd like to try all this stuff on you. You know, I, Nobody has time for that. But there are people out there who call themselves coaches that do that. So you need somebody with a trusted and proven system. 
you need to know that they take their business as seriously as you take your business, right? So find out what they invest in themselves in ongoing training and support. Um, just as a, as a benchmark number, you talked about measurement. Mm-hmm. A focal point coach has 150 hours a year of ongoing training and support. 150, which is massive. And then find out which kind of uh, coach they are. Are they a proactive or a reactive coach? Because that's going to dictate uh, the way you go as well. A reactive coach uh, tends to um, feel good in the beginning. You know, you get a couple things fixed, but it te- and then it tails off very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you find proactive coaches, they they have a path for you to take. Just like taking a course in university or when you're doing an install of a piece of machinery, you want to be working with a journeyman who knows step-by-step step, what you got to do first and what you do last. Great. Now, I guess there are, you, you talked a, a little bit earlier about the kind of the biggest needs for people. You know, if you talk about time, team, money, um, I guess what, uh, are there anything else that uh, people uh, seek out business coaches for? Sometimes it's stress. I mean, I, do we have time for a quick story? Sure. It's, it's actually an HVAC story. Um, company in Colorado Springs, uh, and I won't use the name, but it was uh, a family business, right? So dad starts the business, sons grow up, get into the business, and then dad decides it's time to get out. So he sells the business to his sons, and which is very common in all sorts of industries, especially in mechanical trades like this. And um, uh, time goes on, and unfortunately, dad passes away. Now, when you sell your business to your kids, you don't say, you know, I'm going to get every penny out of my kids. You usually give them a good deal. Right, And you give them favorable terms over a long time, which is what he did. So he sold the business to his, his two sons, and they had a payment schedule back to him and the wife. And then they, they went off and, and did their retirement thing. And as I say, he passed away. So, of course, they then continued the payments to mom. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to take away from the tragedy of that, but that's the first part of the story. So they continue the business. It's a legacy business. It's a family business. It's been around for a long time. And then one of the brothers passes away. Yeah. So. Just imagine for a second the stress. Just be in that guy's shoes for an hour. He now has to support his mother and his uh, uh, sister-in-law and their kids, as well as his own family. And, you know, this isn't a typical situation, but it's a classic coaching situation where you might think people only come to coaching because they want to make more money. But what about stress? What about I'm just losing my life? I'm old and I'm only 35. Mm-hmm. You know, where does that fit into the, the whole thing? And, and I, if I can continue, what he did is because his, his personality was he's a very detailed guy. Under stress, he went to being more detailed. And it, it got to the point where it was just crazy. He would have his journeyman technicians in the field, and they had to phone him when they were in front of the unit and say what they saw, and then he would tell them what to do. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's not leverageable but he thought that was his way to control it so then as a coach we went in there and and worked with him to step back from that delegate properly trust your people turn things around tough story though oh yeah yeah so i I have some happy ones that one (laughs) (laughs) so you know i mean a contractor that was more of a contractor story do you see any difference i mean is a business a business or do you, when you, when you look at the contractors, do they have a unique set of problems aside from say, you know, professional engineers who might be running a consulting firm? No, no, they don't have the, 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 the challenges are the same. Uh, I was just speaking for the uh, association of professional engineers uh, about a month and a half ago. 
And uh, obviously the senior engineers were there and they, they come up and they afterwards they're talking to you, of course, and they have the same challenges, but a big business is just a bunch of little businesses under one umbrella, right? Mm-hmm. There's the, uh, uh, there's the offshore team, you know, they're, they're putting people into, um, uh, you know, sometimes war-torn countries and they've got to recreate the whole business structure inside a different culture. Well, they still need business coaching. And then uh, one of the people that came up to talk to us runs a legal department inside an, in a, a global engineering firm. And they have their challenges. So we do coaching there all the way down to the story of the Fort Collins story, which is, you know, a family business with a bunch of vans. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Now, I guess getting back to uh, kind of go through each of these, uh, this you know, time, team, money, um, and exit strategy that you kind of <clears throat> you talk about. Um, uh, I guess let's kind of give some some practical examples of of how you would go about you know you know any information you can share with us um, mm-hmm. as far as uh, things like that. So let's start off with time. You know, I, I guess how how do you ad- how do you address it uh, from a coaching standpoint? Well, like you already brought this up, but we have to measure it. So I'll give you an exercise and you can do it. Your listeners can do it. Uh, You know, the president of a large organization can do it right now to figure out where their time is going. But this seems to be one of the most common things on time we hear is I look at there's only so many hours in a day and I need to get home and see my kids and always traveling. So we just get them to keep a time journal in 15 minute increments, set an, uh, an alarm on your computer that goes off. And every time it goes off, write down what you were doing in the last 15 minutes. And what we want them to do is do that for a week. So that we can sit down with them and, as you said, logic versus – or you said something about emotion. We have to – we have tools as coaches to either introduce logic or remove logic from conversations and at the same time introduce emotion or remove emotion. This would be a tool to introduce logic and remove emotion. I just want to see what you're doing with your time. And it's amazing that people see, wow, you know, on an, any given week, I'm spending 10 minutes a day doing this, but at the end of the week, that adds up to 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Or that adds up to two hours. And so the conversation then becomes, how can we change it? Who do we delegate that to? Is that really supposed to be my responsibility? Uh, or are we doing it right? Do we need a different system? And that, that just becomes the conversation that you have with your coach. Then the coach holds you accountable to make sure that gets done. So that's the accountability thing. That's that's really the, the key there for, uh, you know, for for measuring that and for making sure that they get on. I mean, that's, that's how you're going to get the, the most value out of business coaching is yeah. really being held accountable to, uh, to doing this. Yes. That's why in the, in the beginning I said this, this industry came out of really the eighties when people said, come to my seminar. Mm-hmm. Well, seminars don't work. The information is still valid, but the problem is you, as soon as you leave the seminar room, your phone rings I guess back in the 80s, we didn't have cell phones. Maybe three people had cell phones. But, uh, you know, the the cell phone rings and and meetings start and you forget everything you learned inside. Mm -hmm. The reason coaching works is because we're there with you on a a weekly or biweekly basis talking about things and moving through the schedule. Right. So it's it's it's, it's more of a matter of identifying what you're doing and then saying, hey, you know what, there's here's these things that I need to stop doing. Yes. And things that I need to continue doing or... Hey, I'm not focusing on this area that I know I'm having problems with, you know, and maybe discuss, maybe discuss that, you know, yeah. Hey, why am I getting the sales? Hey, well, how much time do you spend on sales? Well, let's see. I'll look back on my journal. Um, uh, not too much, not you know? too much. Or, yeah. you know, you were talking about larger firms. Mm-hmm. 
we uh, we just talked to a, a very large engineering firm, multinational, and they were talking about uh, they refer to RFPs, request for proposal, mm-hmm. as floating silver balls. And the reason they called us in is because three different divisions in their company had responded to the same RFP with different quotes, different everything, and they lost the job. Oh boy. And so, you know, the, the person we were speaking to who's in charge of the overall operation said, I just don't even want to know the hours that each team put into the RFP. Aside from winning or losing it, he said there's probably 30 hours alone in the RFP just on that administrative side, not to mention that the, the engineers and the professional that are there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's 90 hours just in admin work right there on three of those. And so it just escalates so quickly. So if we're not if if that business doesn't have a view into what they want to change and how to change it slowly over time, it'll never get changed, and they'll keep eating up those units of time. Now, what uh, what what tends to be the biggest surprise to people when they do this exercise of measuring their time? It's so easy. Why didn't I do this before? <laughs> or uh, hey, I knew this stuff. You're not that smart. In which we counter with, no, we never said we're smart. We're just curious. <laughs> we're just curious. Yeah. So going on to moving on to team, you know, obviously it's it's always you know the more, more business books you read, um, it's it's important for people to know, um, you know, that to have a productive team, you got to have the right people in the right positions. You know, this is kind of the the bus analysis. You know, you got to have the right the right people uh, on the bus uh, in the right seats. So even though they might be the right people, they might not be in the right seat they might have to move them around so they become you know as productive as they possibly can mm-hmm. so i i guess is is you know is this a a large problem to uh, uh to these firms <laughs> the team is a huge problem you know there's a big secret in management and i hope that only people in management hear this next statement but <laughs> the, the big secret is this is if managers don't show up to work on monday you know, it's okay. It's not a big deal. <laughs> if the team doesn't show up, we're in a serious, serious problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the first thing we should understand is the people around us are a leverage tool. They are an extension of our minds and our arms and our feet and everything that we do. So we have to make sure, as, as Jim Collins said, have the right people on the bus and the right seats doing the right thing. So I keep talking about tools. We have specific tools that we use for making sure that you have the right people on the team and that they're doing the right thing. And if they're not, it doesn't mean you get rid of the person. You might need to change the scope of the job, the way they do the job, or their position. You know, you might say, well, they're not great in accounts receivable, but they're really good over here in sales, mm-hmm. or they're really good in operations, and just move the people around. Uh, one of the things that people sometimes think about coaches is that we're axe people. We come in and say, you know, fire this person and move this person here. We don't do that. We just find out how to get the most out of people. Now, do you do you when you have the you know having these conversations with uh, different owners? Do you do you find that hey, you know what, um, they have great potential in their team, uh, but they might not be investing in it? <laughs> yes, there's actually a this is a business coach joke, so nobody else might find this funny. But um, uh, people often ask, well, what happens if I train my people and they leave? And then we always like to say, well, what happens if you don't train them and they stay? Exactly. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's very consistent. You, w- investing in your people is investing in long-term assets. There's a Chinese proverb, and some people have probably heard this, but uh, uh, to plan for a year, plant wheat. To plan for a decade, plant trees. And to plan for a lifetime, 
educate people. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of truth to that. Yeah. So, hmm. So, uh, I guess um, one of the things, uh, you know, I mean, when you're talking about people um, to, you know, I guess the, the qualities of people, how, how do you kind of determine, you know, good versus bad? I mean, is there a certain, you know, uh, mentalities that uh, that that uh, take place? Yeah, good versus bad is is uh, is one way to look at it. Well, we so we have another coaching tool, and this is a simple visual that helps people really draw it together. The um, the academic reference, which is very boring and very dry, is called internal or external locus of control, mm-hmm. and we're not going to talk about that. But uh, sorry for even bringing it up. We just talk about people who are above the line and below the line. Mm. And if you have a, a team of people who are made up of below the line people or you have below the line influencers, it has a massive cascading effect in your company. And the opposite is also true. If you've got a bunch of people who are above the line, that has a positive effect and you want to build a business or a business is buildable when you've got above the line people. Uh, there's a def- do you mind if I give you a definition for both? Uh- no, go ahead. Okay. So people who are below the line, we have an acronym that we use for them and it's BENDS, B-E-N-D-S, BENDS. Mm. And each of those letters stands for something. So B is blame. People who are below the line place blame, right? The next is E. That's these people make excuses. N is negative and D is denial. Uh, And then S is scarcity. When somebody else gets something, it means I lost something. Right. So classic example of this, and we've all heard this in management. They'll come in and say, oh, hey, Matt, sorry, I was late, you know, uh, today. They've been working on the freeway for three months and it's made me late every day. You know, and exactly. I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know what goes through your mind, but I, I think, well, you could have left earlier, right? <laughs> Compen- don't blame, compensate for that. Yeah, don't blame traffic. But that's a classic below the line statement: blame, excuse, negative, denial, and scarcity. So th- there's people out there that, if you were to describe them, look and and sound like that, and that's not a scalable model. You cannot build a team that you'd be proud of, anyways, built on that. And then there's the opposite: people who are above the line, and there's an acronym for them too. Uh, prove P R O V E. Mm-hmm. So P is for positive or proactive. R is they take responsibility. O is they, they have a sense of ownership. V is vision and E is excellence. So we show business owners in coaching how to watch for these things when you're interviewing people. Now that's that's got to be a key component that you you just mentioned there because obviously if if you're going to interview some I mean there's to evaluate somebody you know in, instead of just you know hiring a warm body you know to fill a position uh, there needs to be some skill at identifying some of these traits that uh, you know when you're interviewing um, you know or you know, I, I, even even if you did instead, uh, you know, maybe a trial program at, uh, you know, you're on a like 30 day or 90 day probationary period where we're going to evaluate how you're doing. That might be a, a little bit easier. But, you know, how, how do you identify those things in like a, a interview situation? What, what are some of the, the telltale signs there? Well, the, the very so this is a great question. We could go on forever on this. The first thing is you have to know exactly who and what you want to hire. So just a very brief, this is a 
classic coaching exercise. Mm-hmm. Matt, if you said to me, I need to hire a new CFO or even a new accounts receivable clerk, let's take the whole scale. Um, then your business coach should stop and say, okay, tell me about the best CFO that you know in the entire world. What do they look like on paper? And so we'd get, we'd get you to write down what the best CFO looked like and try to even attach a name to it. Who is that best CFO? Now you might come back and say, well, it's, it's, uh, it's Susan Smith. She's the best CFO ever. I know her personally, but we can never afford her. She's at a massive company. She's very happy there. Stock options a whole bit. Well, that doesn't matter. I just want you to keep Susan Smith in your mind because when we start doing the interviews, you're going to judge everybody against her. Knowing what you're willing to accept and what you're not willing to waver on. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's one of the steps is, is uh, to model the kind of person that you want. The next one is you need a multi-step interview process. And we always like to say the higher on the food chain, so up in the executive suite or even managers and above, you want to see them in a social interaction as well. So one of your interviews should be at a restaurant or a coffee shop. See how they treat the serving staff. Mm. If they're rude to the barista, if the server makes a mistake and they act in a way that you don't think is consistent with your company culture, you have to make note of that because that will happen again in the company. Then you also need to use assessments. Again, removing emotion and adding logic into the picture. There are really strong professional assessments that can be done on people's people's behavioral style and the behavioral style has to match the job description. And then there's always the highly technical go with your gut. Mm, yeah. Now I, I know that there's a, a lot of companies put different faith on um, say the exams and things like that, or personality tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what, what's your take on, on things like that? Uh, they work. They work if they're used properly. Okay. Yeah, they work if they're used properly. So we use different assessments for different uh, functions. We have assessments that are just used for salespeople so that uh, the sales manager or the VP sales or the owner can look at it and say, okay, I see where my team is. It needs help and I see where my team is strong. So I'll, I'll guide my training or my support or my marketing pieces to support wherever the deficiency is or the strength is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for people that aren't in a technical role like that, if you're looking at straight behavioral assessments, it's so valuable. I mean, People often think, oh, the assessments are a little bit hocus-pocus. But let's say that your company did, didn't do assessments and my company did. And we hire functionally the same person for this role. Just keep using the uh, CFO as an example. Mm-hmm. Throughout their career, they do okay. But there comes a point in time when, when there's a problem that we have to address with that person. I will go back to the behavioral style assessment. And I'll look and I'll say, okay, this is my CFO's behavioral style. The report tells me that when I talk to him or her, I need to use these words and avoid these words. And so when I go talk to them, I can have a a very um, formative, like a really good conversation based on a language they need to hear and a way they want to hear it. You don't have that. You've got to go in and talk to that person and guess at how they're going to pick up the message best. And then hope. So guessing and hoping, by the way, not good business strategies. You have to guess at one thing, and then you've got to hope that it resonated and mm-hmm. hope they change. I still have to hope they change, but I had the right conversation in the right way. So the best assessments, and this is a note for anybody out there looking at them, watch and make sure they have a section that says uh, keys for communicating, communication do's, and communication don'ts. Now, is it – I mean, these things – I'm just familiar with a couple different ones, but are, are there some that are better than others? 
Well, yes, and I'm completely biased. So can I say that disclaimer? <laughs> yes, you can. And I'm biased because we're very educated on disk. Okay, right. On, yeah, we use disk. Uh, and further to that, we use TTI disk. And that's that's ultra technical. There are many different forms out there. As long as your team is well educated in how they work, um, or you have somebody who can show you how they work, then you're you're fine. I, I think that at the end of the day, the value of the tool is using the tool. There are various tools. Now, if there if there isn't somebody that uh, you know, not not everybody has the luxury of having an HR department. Um, are, is the disk assessment uh, something that that can be done easily by you know just anybody, or does it have to be executed by a specific uh, you know person or team or you know? hire somebody to, to kind of execute the, uh, the training. Right. Uh, yeah. Even an HR department isn't trained in it because there's, you can get a PhD in those behavioral style assessments. So the way that, the way that we have added value to that particular assessment internally at focal point is we have a department that just does those for our coaches. So a coach in Cincinnati might start working with a, a firm and have the, the clients inside that firm take the assessment. And then we have a specialist here who uh, assesses that person's behavioral style and then has a conversation with them about it. So this is not something that you just do during, you know, say, you know, hey, here's my new hire. I need to figure out exactly, you know, what his, you know, disposition is. This could yeah, be yeah. this could be just a benchmark again, getting a measuring benchmark for the whole company, saying, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna start instituting this. Everybody has to take it. You know, right. it's neither here nor there, but we just want to get that benchmark." Absolutely, everybody can take it, and you should do it for new hires as well, um, and also for people that are at further stages in interviewing. Because when you put it on paper, you need to you need to understand what kind of person you're hiring and whether their behavioral style will suit that position. You know, you wouldn't want an accounts receivable person who was uh, able to make friends with everybody, uh, real outgoing, gregarious personality. And I'm not knocking that person. That's a lot mm-hmm. like me. But you don't put me in charge of collections because I'll accept any story about why somebody <laughs> can't pay. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. It's raining. Yeah, I get it. Well, whenever you get a chance to walk to the mailbox, can you pop it in? You need somebody whose behavioral style is, you know, they follow the rules. Their world is very black and white. They mm-hmm. need a system and they, they don't understand people who don't recognize the importance of system. When you see that background, that's your accounts receivable clerk right there. Gotcha. <laughs> Not the Aloha deck guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's good. You know, and, it, and I think that, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, you know, in the little experience that I've had with um, sort of assessments like this, um, it, it almost, you know, they, and this was in a sales heavy organization they were able to kind of uh, roll these out, and, and when you you know first hired, you did these uh, assessments, and they would take a look at it, and they knew exactly kind of what, like you're saying, what measurements made sense. But they, I think they 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 rolled it out because everybody had to take it, and they kind of judged everybody based on their knowledge of salespeople, and I, oh. I, I I think they kind of you know confused it a little bit, or you know what makes a good engineer compared compared to a salesperson, but. Yeah, and vice versa. No, that doesn't work. You have to do different. Uh, you have to do different assessments for different people, <laughs> right? It's like having a special teams coach. Oh yeah, right. It, the special teams coach will work on different things: defense versus offense versus kicking. And you know, they they need they all play the same game, but they will work on different skills to different levels. And so, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I should have been working with that company. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So I guess uh, you know. Obviously, you know, when you talk about, you know, the kind of 
firms that I've been I've been dealing with and and, and that I know know more about. Um, obviously, these are these are highly you know technical, very skill based, very knowledge based uh, companies. Um, that I don't think that necessarily they get they get the information they need um, when they're you know starting their own company or when they're developing their own businesses uh, to make them great. I mean, what I, I guess. Uh, you know, how would you how would you say how what would be the best way for somebody to kind of get some of this this background information? Uh, background information on on just kind of management in general. I mean, oh, you know, okay. if they, if they're if they're because typically, you know, if, if if somebody wants to become you know a consulting engineer and they're really good at consulting engineer, but maybe they're moved up to management or uh, maybe they want to run their own business as a professional engineer or a contractor wants to start his own shop. What are some of the things that they should kind of, Hey, maybe you should think about this before you take this next step. Yeah, that's a great point because one of the things that happens, and this does not just happen with engineers, it's any technical, any technical background kind of position. So it's lawyers, accountants, engineers, construction. People are really good at what they do. So let's keep using engineers as, as an example. You're really good at an, in, as an engineer, as a junior, and your superiors start to recognize that, and they put you in charge of a small group. And at first, all you heard is, I got a raise, you know, or I'm moving <laughs> up the ladder. And then you quickly realize, but hold on a second, I don't know how to manage people. And why isn't John doing his job and Cindy's fighting with John? And oh my goodness, what's going on? This is a real headache. I'm really good at engineering. And in order to move up in a company, it you have to have technical skill, but what is required to move up is the ability to lead people. And that is a skill that people who have a technical background typically don't get in university and, and even if they do anything post-university. Mm-hmm. So as, as coaches, you've actually hit, on, hit something right on the head. We do a lot of training around how to effectively lead people because it's not something people learn at school. Um, the fun side of that is that people who are thrust into management or supervisory positions tend to manage in a few different ways. One is how they were raised at home, good or bad. Yeah. Right. Right. The other one is, is uh, sports, how they were coached in sport. And the other one is stuff they saw on TV. <laughs> and it, oh boy. And I, yeah. I say that jokingly, but they'll take things from the popular media mm-hmm. or things they've heard or, or phrases that they think are neat and they'll try to use them on on real people in real situations. They find out that they sometimes are quite damaging. There's things you can't say and ways you can't say <laughs> things that might have sounded great on 30 Rock, but it's not appropriate for business. And so those people find themselves struggling when really just a change in their approach and knowing the right thing to say in the right time uh, helps them out. And, and, and most people don't know there are scripts. There are foundations for effective leadership that you can use at any given time, depending on the situation. And once you learn those, you can move very nicely through management. Now let's move on to, uh, to money. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a big thing that, that people don't, you know, that people, it's a focus of a lot of people and, you know, as it should be. I mean, obviously what was it, um, you know, the, the reason to have a, uh, 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 build a company or the reason to have a customer is to make a profit. I think I butchered that, but you know, it was, it, 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 money is obviously a focal point for a lot of, you know, consultants, contractors. What are some of the, you know, the biggest pitfalls that people have? 
um, the biggest pitfall is focusing on the wrong thing. And so what we find when we focus on money, you know, make us more money is that people are asking themselves questions about why they're not making enough money, but they're focused on the wrong question. So they tend to be focused on revenue and uh, profit, Mm -hmm. which is fine, except that those are outcomes. They're not inputs and you can't change the outcome. You can change the input. So let me add to that. They focus on revenues and profits and what they sometimes don't focus on is customers. So now we've got three things. So if you have ever, you or anybody listening has ever found themselves driving home, white knuckling the steering wheel, saying to themselves or saying to somebody else, you know, everything would be fine. We're a great company. We just need more customers. Or we're a great company. I just don't understand where our revenues are where they are. Or why aren't our profits up? They're asking the right kind of question, but the angle is off by one degree. One degree. I'll use the customer one as an example. Okay. If you're saying to yourself, we just need more customers, then you're only going to be frustrated. And so as a coach, I come in and I, I take them up the scale. You don't have a customer problem. What you have is a lead generation problem and a conversion rate problem. If you have leads and they're buying from you, then you get customers. But you can't just go out and scream at the world that I need customers. And then just to continue that on, if somebody's saying revenue is our problem, well, then it's very simple. What goes into making revenue is number of customers times average dollar sale times number of times they buy from you. Those are the inputs that, as a coach, I can show you which levers to pull and which levers to ignore. Mm -hmm. And then so as long as you deal with the inputs, you're fine. If you're focused on the outputs, you get very frustrated. Now, I guess, you know, how do you get, uh, obviously, you know, as, as owners, you know, you want to have a profitable company. I mean, that's, that's ultimately, that should be a good goal because then, you know, you're, you're, you're going to stay in business. Um, some employees, obviously, when you talk about the, you know, the, 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 uh, the lotus of focus is, is, is being more internal. Um, how do you get people and employees to, to really kind of come around to, uh, you know, the right way of thinking as far as, you know, hey, you know what, if you succeed, if you help me out and we make more profit, then, you know, you'll have a, you know, uh, a job. Yeah. Right. So how, how do you get the, you know, the, the, the people who are saying, hey, you know what, hey, if it's not in it for me, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to do one more thing. Right. You know, it's funny. This is going to sound very um, moonbeams and gumdrops, but uh, <laughs> it, it has a lot to do with company culture. So what is the, the culture of your company? Yeah, and, and that's something I can't dictate and neither can you. you mm-hmm. know, that is the, the company culture. But inside that company culture, a good business coach can show you how to make the message resonate. And the, the acid test is, is anything that you claim as, as part of what you're doing in the world, you know, what we classically call the vision and mission statements, you have to be able to support with stories inside. Right? So if, if, if you say that, um, look, we, we keep a real keen eye on costs here. Did you ever hear the story about Susan who found out we were spending an extra $3 a day on coffee just by accident? And then she brought it to our attention. It turned out we saved as a company $36,000. It was just amazing. And so, yeah, everybody knows Susan as, as the lady who found <laughs> us $3 a day. That's a story that means nothing except that when I start at the company and I know that Susan gets accolades for being the person that found 3 bucks a day. Mm. 
it becomes part of the culture. So I just imposed a piece of culture on companies that may not agree with me, and that's fine. Every culture's got their thing. Some are very competitive, some are very passive, some are green-focused. But you need stories that relate to that, that you can point to that are real, and then people will buy into it. So if profit is one of your motivators, you've got to make it an internal story. There's got to be a line that follows. You mean they, they, they won't respect it if it's a, like a, a line item on a, uh, here's, here's what we find most no. important? No, no. I mean, you probably, we all walk past the vision and mission statement in the lobby and can you recite it? Yeah, no. Right. But we do remember the stories about Susan who saved three bucks a day and 36 grand a year. And wasn't that great. And look at how much everybody loves her for it. Very human, isn't it? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, it reminds me a lot of, of what, uh, um, what uh, Tony Shea uh, over at uh, Zappos. You know, he, he deals with happiness and the deal, the company culture, and, and he's really big on culture. And, you know, it is it is the stories that, you know, really kind of, you know, make the culture solidify. You know, it, it gives kind of, you know, meat to the bones of, of culture, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I, I like I like their saying that their business is like a mullet haircut. It's all business up front and party in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I, I, as, as an aside, I, I also like the the fact that uh, um, you know when we talk about uh, training and the hiring process, the last thing that they you know they have a very kind of uh, uh, you know detailed hiring process, and the last thing they do is saying, hey, you know what? Here's a here's a check for a thousand bucks for you to walk away from this job, and anybody who takes it takes that you know thousand bucks walks away. You know, no worries. You know, if you don't, you can have the job. You can you take one or the other. You know, that's right. the final litmus test to getting a job at Zappos. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's it's important, you know, not to get technical on you again and, and business coach geeky, but it's cost 43% of somebody's annual salary to replace them, uh, especially at the executive levels. And there's arguments up to 50 and beyond. Wow. Uh, 50%. But think about that. If you've got somebody making 100000 a year and you make the wrong hiring decision, you've just burned $43,000 at a minimum. Yeah. Not to mention the time and the heartache and everybody else that they impacted. So $1,000 is actually a good deal from Zappos' point of view. And it leads to a great story because now you know when you go into the interview, I'm going to get offered this $1,000. I'm going to turn it down because <laughs> I love this place so much. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, and it really kind of, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, getting the right people, you know, the right people on the bus and just, you know, the warm bodies filling the seats and things like that. You know, it's just... How many people out there, how many companies, you know, are just trying to do this, um, you know, and they, they've, you know, they're basically, you know, when you talk about the money aspect of it, they're trying to, you know, what, uh, I don't know what, uh, you know, trip over dollars to, you know, pick up pennies or whatever, you know, right, right. that kind of analogy, but they just, they just do the wrong things. I mean, you know, even like, you know, give a, give a, give a bump to the, uh, you know, the technical, technical search firms. You know, if somebody's not willing to pay, I mean, those fees are kind of, they're steep. Right. But to get the right person on the bus, it would save so much down, down, you know. Yeah. Time and frustration and hiring the wrong person and finding the right person. I mean, company morale. You know, I, I, that's, that's the, you know, the one thing just to kind of give you a, a glimpse into, you know, you can, you can look at the energy savings and, and all these things in a building. And the one thing that you find out is that, you know, really, everything is, is very minor compared to the the amount of money that you spend on 
uh, you know, your employees. It, it's 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 insignificant. I mean, if you could save one percent on productivity, it doesn't care. It doesn't matter how how energy efficient your system is. <laughs> it, it you've just made you know tons of money, right? And it's just un, unfathomable that so that that I mean, because you hire the wrong person, you can have a negative impact on your whole culture, on your whole you know system, on your clients, on your system, on everything. And uh, it goes back to the below the line blame, excuse, negative denial. Green energy doesn't work. Forget it. <laughs> Who wants to recycle? Ugh. Easy, easy. <laughs> but this is what the, you know, and then they, oh yeah, you know, and then it, that that lends itself to that becomes a story within the company, right? You know, there's a um, a friend of mine, a gentleman who owns a, a, a very successful franchise company called One Eight Hundred Got Junk. His name is Brian Scudamore. Yeah, you've probably heard of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, great guy, very smart, and also just very in touch with himself. And uh, about two years ago, he had as the footer of his email that he was no longer going to use reusable water bottles. And that was the way he was going to impact the world. He was only going to, you know, buy the, the water bottle from wherever you buy it from the grocery store and mm-hmm. use that, but no more reusable water bottles. And then there was a brief mention there of what the impact of that would be. Now, 1-800, is that a 1-800-GOT-JUNK thing or is that a Brian Scudamore thing? But whatever it is, that's a story I'm talking to you about on the HVAC 360 podcast. Mm-hmm. That's impact. Right, and so if you're doing that in your company, if you can make those points of culture, that extends beyond what you do every day, and people are drawn to that. Employees, customers, clients, etc. All right, let's move on to exit strategy. You talk about, you know, I mean, in the world of selling widgets, selling products, having systems. You know, valuing a system, valuing a company, you know, is, 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 it's a fine science. When you get into the, you know, the construction and the consulting field where, you know, your job is, is a, is a one-off, you know, you may not get another one from a, you know, the same client. Um, I guess, you know, talk, how, how important is succession planning? I mean, is it, is it like, you know, you know, you tell everybody, Hey, you should have a will. You know, if you have children, definitely have a will, you know, you know, so succession planning for companies, how how do you help them out there? Well, you know, and again, that's different. One one of the things that we show people is the three kinds of buyers, because there's, there's only three kinds of buyers of your business. Um, And I can separate them into something pretty easy to understand. There's people who are going to pay fair market value. There are people or companies that are going to pay below fair market value. And there's companies that will pay above fair market value. Mr. Client, which one would you like? Uh, Yes. Guess what they always say, right? (laughs) Yeah. I want to get top dollar. Yeah, I want to get top dollar, but there's overlays there as well. And one of the overlays is client involvement. Uh, So how how long will you be involved in in the passing on of the business? Uh, and, you know, the tragedy there, and this is, I'm sorry to bring a negative side to this, but sometimes business owners or senior executives come to us and say, look, I'm, I'm sick. And, uh, we're talking about, I have one year's worth of calendar. Well, that's a very different situation. than somebody's like, yeah, I'm 35. I'd love to sell this thing and move on to something else. You know, so owner involvement becomes important. The amount of money somebody wants is important and how much time it takes to sell the business is important. So based on all of those factors, we have a way to show people how to walk through that. But ultimately, the answer is very simple. You, if you want to sell the business, it has to look the way your ideal buyer wants it to look. 
So if your ideal partner is your kids or the ideal buyer is your kids Mm -hmm. or the current management team, it has to look a certain way. If it's uh, uh, an international firm from Denmark that you know is looking to grow in your industry, then you know it has to look a certain way that is appealing to them and you build the business according to that. Gotcha. So you, you kind of make it, yeah, make it look like something they'd want. Right. Yeah. It has the same aspects of what they're looking for. All right. Now, how, I mean, what, what's the, what's the best way to, to add value? I mean, if you're looking to, you know, what, what can people typically do if you, if you know that, Hey, you know what, I've, I've put, you know, 10, 15 years into this, what, how much can I, you know, what's the, how can I get the top dollar aside from making it, you know, something that, you know, an, an owner would want to buy. I mean, technically, I mean, if you had, you know, if you wanted to sell your business and you had somebody from Denmark and you had somebody from, you know, it's kind of like customizing a resume based on, you know, who you're, you know, who you're going to interview with. You kind of have to mm-hmm. switch it up and, and, and make it like that. But is there, is there something in general people, you know, look for as far as, uh, you know, the exit strategies that uh, they're looking at? Um, so, sorry, do you mean are buyers looking for certain Correct. things? Or, right. Yeah. Buyers want recurring revenue. Right. They want to buy a line of recurring revenue. They want to buy a stream of money and they want to pay up. They don't want to pay a premium for that typically. Um, but, you know, in a construction or a consulting firm, as you've said, it's project and on to the next project. Right. Mm-hmm. So what you need there is proven systems. You need to, to say, look, you know, we 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 built a mine tailings pond here. And we were able to make 7 or 17% profit on that because of our systems. And then over here, we did bridge footings for this project. And we were able to make 7% on that. And if you can show another buyer how your internal systems and your people and your structure and your bid process is lined up to churn out that kind of money, that's what they'll buy. Mm. But people pay you on what they'll get back, which is fair. They're putting money into a money machine. They want to. It's like they want to put a dollar in and they want to get whatever their returns are out. Mm-hmm. That's why I say if if you think a client, a business from Denmark might be the one coming over to buy in your industry, know what they're looking for and understand who they've already bought and what that looks like, and then align yourself and your systems around that. The very worst that could happen is that company says no to you, but then you already look really good to all the other companies out there who might be looking. Right. Or heaven forbid, you're just profitable. <laughs> what would you then? Yeah, you know, <laughs> crazy. I, yeah, and I, I think that you know to touch on one of the things, uh, systems. You know, they have to have systems in place um, to be able to produce this. Systems set you free. There is a wonderful book by Vern Harnish called "Mastering the Rockefeller Habits." It's a very heavy read, but it's a great read. And Vern is a, a wonderful guy, very smart, and and he says systems set you free. And you only know when your system is working when your people are laughing at you behind your back about it. <laughs> so you got to have a sense of humor in this business, right? Yes. Leadership means, you know, if, if behind my back they're going, here we go, two donuts to every customer. Um, <laughs> well, then you know the system for upselling every customer is working. Okay. Excellent. Now I, I noticed that uh, you know, one of the things that you, you you'd see on the on the website, obviously different services coaching. You have a benchmarking service. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? What what that is? Mm-hmm. Well, that, this actually lends itself almost to everything we've talked about today because there's benchmarking, financial benchmarking, 
which allows us to take an industry, uh, let's say it's a company that does uh, industrial process controls, and they need to know how they're doing in the industry. I mean, they have a sense of how they're doing. You know, we've got this many thousand square feet in our company, and they've only got this much. But, but how do you really know? So what we have access to is um, a, a software program that's only used by accountants. So it's very exciting. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> thrilling stuff. But um, all accountants put their information into this central database in order to pull the same information that we do. And of course, identifying information is scrubbed out. You just see that it's a industrial process control business in this sector of the country that is uh, this revenue range and is privately held. So you give it all those components and then it spits out the numbers. There's about 50 different measurement criteria there that you can benchmark your company against. Wow. Which means you're just not fumbling around in the dark. right? You might find that your accounts receivable days are three days better than the average, which is great. It just means, back to your earlier point, we don't have to focus there today. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can leave that and move on to something else. Keeping in mind that like any average report, whatever number is showing on that page means 50% of the people are doing better and 50% are doing worse. So just being average isn't good enough when you're sitting with a focal point coach, right? But, but it, anyways, it tells you that you've got some room that you can leave that for a bit. You might see something else where you're off by a significant amount. And that just says, okay, let's go apply some pressure here. Let's go ask some questions. What fundamentally is the problem with our, uh, you know, quick ratio on our financials? Or why is our inventory cost so high compared to the industry standard? It's very valuable. The other thing that we do there is business valuations, and that happens quite a bit in succession planning or uh, tragically if somebody's getting a divorce, then both parties want to know what the value of the business is. So they can split the assets and then expense reduction. Ever popular. How right. can we save money? Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, you know, how can you spend things? You know, don't waste money on things that you don't need. Right. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, when we're talking about this, you know, business coaching, benchmarking service, I mean, you know, obviously there's there's some, you know, benefit to it. There's some cost associated. And obviously, if you know, the benefit should be there as well. Um, what what you know, what would somebody you know, look look at, uh, you know, you know, spending and on different services? I mean, what's the. What's the range? I mean, is it, is it, and I guess maybe a more pertinent question is, you know, is this kind of a, you know, a, a, a set engagement where it's like, okay, successions, or is it like ongoing as needed or how, how, how are these things arranged? Well, that is a great question. So it's always different for every client, mm-hmm. um, but I'll, I'll deal with them in order here. How much, you know, what do you invest in business coaching? Our goal is that it should be free plus a profit. So we need to be able to find our fee. And of course, that's what people hold us to as a standard as well. Um, but it's always custom. It's custom for every client. It depends on the engagement. You know, there, I've already, a couple of stories here today, you've probably sensed are some smaller businesses and some other ones are much bigger businesses. Mm-hmm. And so it's different for every client. But our, our goal really is to help a lot of people. So we always find a way. And sometimes what we'll do is we'll tweak the amount of times we meet and, you know, that helps it be budget conscious for people. But there's always a way to make it work. If you've got a client, and this is our internal culture, if you've got a client or, or somebody who really wants the help, find a way to help them. Mm-hmm. It has to work for them and it has to work for us, but we'll, we'll find a way. So that's the first thing, you know, a free plus a profit and, and we find our fee. That is, that's standard with everything we do. Um, 
the other side of your question was, uh, sorry, you're going to have to remind me. What was the other side of that question? <laughs> now I've forgotten. Um, oh, so uh, basically, how how does it go about? You know, I mean, is is it is it one kind of you know? Here's how we typically set it up um, as far as the structure goes, or what? Yeah, the structure is different again. So we don't do, um, we're not what is called parachute presenters. Every single situation, every company and the people inside those companies are different. And so we structure that for them uh, uh, to make sure that it works in a way that works for them. It, there's no use for us to come in and say, uh, you know, hey, read this book. It's the best book in the world. We're going to follow this book. That just doesn't work. That doesn't work. When you, when you sit with a focal point coach, it's not time bounded unless you need it to be. And it, the, the program is not structured unless you need it to be. If you want super structure, we'll do that. If you want it to be a little bit flexible, we'll do that. But, you know, take the example of the HVAC company with the two brothers. You know, that started out as a, uh, as a real stress position for them. And it really moved into delegation and time management thing. So who would know at the beginning what it was going to become at the end? Mm. It's just about constant. It's, it's the Kaizen approach, constant and never-ending improvement. I mean, is there is there a point where you start? You have to do an initial evaluation. Is that is that different? Well, the, yes. The beginning of every coaching is there's an there's an assessment phase where we we're figuring out what the client needs, and then we sit down with the client and say, based on my professional experience and, and what I know of your company, this is the path I think we should take, and here's the packages I suggest. So we always give people a choice. All right. Now, if if people are interested in this, obviously, uh, you know, how can they, you know, if they if they said, you know what, I think focal point is 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 one of those things that uh, you know I might try to uh, to to look into. Mm-hmm. What kind of, I mean, network do you have for uh, you know handling people? Well, we have coaches all over the world with many different specialties and all sorts of different backgrounds, and so we we can introduce people to different coaches as well. They just email us coach at focalpointcoaching.com is a great way to do that. Or simply go to the website, focalpointcoaching.com. Uh, and it's probably in your show notes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and have, just have a conversation. You know, it doesn't do anybody any good to be pigeonholed with the wrong kind of person uh, in the wrong situation on both sides, client or coach. All right. Well, um, I appreciate your time. Dominic, hey, uh, any any last thoughts? Give you the last word here. No, I think that you know we're approaching Thanksgiving weekend. It's actually it's tomorrow, isn't it? So yes. if you see your football team take to the field without a coach, then you can be indignant. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say. But I, I have appreciated the time, and, and I appreciate everybody who invests the time in themselves, really, to listen to a podcast like this and, and think about things in a different way. It's that's the 1%. When people think and act in a different way, they get different results. And so listening to publications, podcasts like this is is what separates people. And uh, thanks for doing that. I appreciate your time. All right. And we're back. Thanks again to Dominic for uh, taking the time to uh, talk with us today. Um, it is the uh, the day before Thanksgiving, so... I will uh, I will make this uh, as brief as possible. Uh, hopefully, everybody is having that uh, turkey hangover that we have here in America. If not, uh, eat something uh, that has turkey in it in other countries uh, and enjoy. Um, and be thankful for something. If not, just thankful for the turkey. 
All right. So, you know, as we, there's a lot of information to digest in what we've kind of gone through with, with Dominic and such great, great ideas. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's, you know, in this day and age when we're saying, Hey, you know what? We're not being paid enough or we don't have enough time to do, you know, the kind of jobs that we need to do. Um, really there's a kind of a, a consequence, another side to, uh, to not doing the right thing. Uh, and we've kind of touched on a couple of those. You know, if you take the lazy way out, uh, you get bad results and that affects your bottom line. Uh, and if you take the time and know what to do and concentrate and focus, uh, you really, uh, you know, know what to do. Ultimately, you know, the, the whole goal here is, is take a couple of things. I mean, even if you're not a business owner, I mean, that the time thing for, you know, 15 minutes, you know, t- t- you know, identifying what you do every 15 minutes for a week, do that. As an individual, you can do that and be so much more productive, you know, and that's, that's great because, you know, that's, you're, you're developing yourself. You're becoming more valuable. You're increasing your value. You know, aside from the company, you know, you're doing that for yourself. And that's a huge thing. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, it, for the business owners, it's, you know, there's clearly some things out there that, you know, they're making a, you know, a ton of sense as far as, as far as what we talked about. But, you know, realistically, um, there's some things for the individual as well. So, you know, hopefully there's some things to think about and hopefully it was beneficial to you. I really appreciate you listening again. Um, you know, if you like the episode, pass it on. If you had some comments, uh, drop me a line and let me know what you uh, think. Uh, if you have suggestions, you can reach me at matt at buildingx.co. Um, C-O. Try not to say that too. Um, and uh, or hey, you know what? I really appreciate it. It it helps the getting get the podcast out there. Uh, if you're on iTunes, if you listen to this on iTunes, which I think a lot of you are, um, just go over there and uh, you know give me a rating on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. If you have something to say, if you want to kind of you know give me a uh, uh, um, some some feedback there, I'd appreciate that as well. Obviously, five star feedback is uh, more more preferably uh, than anything else. But that gives us out there, and that gets you uh, you know it's it's a, it's a great uh, thing that you can do for me. I'd really appreciate it. All right, uh, Twitter building X, and if you want to connect with me, I'd be happy to do that at uh, and that's uh, Matt Nelson PE on LinkedIn. All right. Well, that's it for now. Everybody go back to work. I appreciate each and every one of you listening. I know you're the top 3% of this industry. And remember, always know what you build and share what you know. Yeah!